Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This is the Action Network Podcast. You can hear the chatter from the crowd. We have a big chance, a big chance to make a run for some big bucks. Three-pointer, bang! Oh, what a man! Welcome to the Action Network Podcast, NBA Conference Finals Edition. My name's Matt Moore. I'm the senior NBA writer for the Action Network, and I'm very excited to be joined today by Ryan McDonough, formerly front office executive in the NBA, known for his work on the on Odyssey. He's all over the place. You can catch him on Twitter. We will have the link for you to his Twitter in the episode description. Ryan, how you doing today? Matt, I'm doing great. Always good to be on with you, especially with the conference finals starting, the lottery upcoming. I feel like we got a lot to talk about as always, and I think for guys like you and I, NBA junkies, this is one of our favorite times of year. Is the lottery how how nerve wracking is the lottery for a front office executive? Like how, like is it you just kind of like well whatever happens because oftentimes I'll talk to execs and they'll just be like well look it's out of my control and I can only control whatever but it's such a big deal. What's that day like for executives? I think it depends on where you're slotted. I, I've been on all sides of it. Uh, when I was GM of the Suns, we were slotted 14th and ended up with the 14th pick in the 2014 draft. We ended up taking TJ Warren. With that one uh, in 2018, four years later, we slotted one and ended up being uh, number one and took DeAndre Ayton in that one. So it's uh, it's really, you know, I, I, I guess if you're at the top, you feel more pressure, if that's the right word. However, I, I you know, I, I would say in drafts that are relatively flat or it, unless there's one transcendent star in the draft who's obvious, uh, like, say, a LeBron James uh, you know, maybe Tim Duncan, somebody like that. Uh, it, it can be a blessing and a curse. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm part of the uh, one of the victims, I guess, of that, Matt. You know, look, look at the 2018 draft. You go back a few years and I was with the Suns, uh, Vladi Divac with the Kings, uh, Donnie Nelson with the Mavs and so on and so forth. Chris Wallace with the Memphis Grizzlies. Uh, none of us are still working for those teams with the top four picks. So uh, it can be a blessing and a curse. But it's one of those things that you tell yourself you're not going to worry about it if you're an executive slotted at or near the top of the draft. But then I think it's just human nature as you get closer to uh, draft night or lottery night and the ping pong balls start bouncing, uh, you get nervous and, you know, want to, uh, you know, you feel like you can will it to happen, even though it's just random chance. And uh, in reality, you have nothing to do with the outcome. Let's talk about some conference finals, though. Let's talk about the basketball on the court. So we're recording this on Tuesday afternoon, a couple hours before the Eastern Conference finals tip off. And I do want to get your thoughts on the series as a whole, regardless of how game one kind of tips off. For me, I look at the series and it, I think it's just going to be a slugfest. These are two teams that are great defensively. Uh, I think Bam Adebayo, honestly, he was the front runner for Defensive Player of the Year back in early March, and then a late surge by Marcus Smart. I think Bam's been absolutely amazing this season. This has been one where more than ever, I've kind of appreciated what Bam's brought to the table defensively. You've obviously got the Celtics with the Defensive Player of the Year. Marcus Smart goes questionable in the, this game, but should play at some point in the series. Uh, these are two switching defenses. The Heat use a lot of zone um, I just feel like this is going to be a, a very – it's going to be close no matter what just because of the style of how these two teams play where they're so good 
at, I've kind of described it as taking away your ceiling offensively. Yeah, two very well-coached teams, two very deep teams. And that was the thing that I think I missed, Matt. I'll be, I'll be honest. I've been lower on the Miami Heat all year than I should have been. Um, you know, they, they, they didn't get a lot of attention, I guess, nationally, you know, relative to what uh, Miami's got in the past. Obviously, when they had LeBron and D-Wade and Bosh and those guys, they were the team. Uh, I was talked about this year. I feel like even though they were the number one seed in the Eastern Conference, they, they flew somewhat under the radar. Um, typical Miami, they didn't have a whole lot of drama, although they do, did have some pretty significant injuries to their top players, uh, Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, missed time. Kyle Lowry is, is now banged up. He is out for game one. So I think it's going to be a heck of a series. I completely agree with you. Um, I think it's going to go at least six games, potentially uh, seven games. And, um, you know, two elite coaches. I mean, Spolster is that. We know that. He's maybe the best coach in the league. But Emi Odoka, what he was able to do in terms of turning Boston season in season without a real catalyst, Matt. That's that's what surprised me. And when I was thinking back for my two decades or so affiliation with the NBA, I can't really remember a season flipping uh, as significantly, especially from from bad to good, as the Celtics uh, did without a big trade. So I'm looking for for a heck of a series. Uh, I think it's going to be, you know, a hard fought, long series, I, very physical, as you mentioned. And uh, yeah, Bam's going to have, you know, his, his, his way, I think, in certain uh, aspects. But Robert Williams looks like he's going to play for the Celtics. So uh, the teams are getting healthier. And um, really, for me, uh, this is kind of a coin flip because these two teams are so evenly matched. Yeah, I think it's interesting to look at. Um, they're stylistically very similar too, right? You've got Butler on one side and Tatum on the other. Uh, you've got Jalen Brown is, I think, kind of a, a tier above who Miami's got as a secondary player. They've got Bam in the front court. Like that's the big advantage there. As good as I think Robert Williams is, and Al Horford, who's been absolutely just amazing uh, in these playoffs. I, I, as a big Al Horford guy, it's great to see him once again, having having a great postseason run. He's been tremendous for them. And Grant Williams giving them these huge minutes. I'm trying to figure out who the other guys, the unseen, the guys that we're not going to expect to have these series that, that have the deciding ones. I think for the Bucs, you know, Bucks fans, I think we'll look back and go, man, Grant Williams killed us in that series. Yeah. Um, whether it's Max Struess, who, which is odd because he's a starter, Gabe Vincent, who actually I've been pretty impressed with his on-ball work as of late. Is there a guy on either team that you see having a big impact relative to kind of expectations in the series? Yeah, I lean toward Boston to win the series because I think they have more good players. And I think that's one of the, the trends, Matt. And it sounds overly simplistic. It is overly simplistic. But um, if you have foul trouble or injuries and you can go to your bench and not really have a significant drop-off, not really a weak link in the chain. I think in today's NBA, that that is so important. Um, you know, I think Phoenix, uh, to some extent, had that, at least until it's till Game 7 with the meltdown. Um, but, you know, good, good talent, good depth. I think Golden State has that ability. Uh, and I think Boston and the Eastern Conference, to me, stands out where you, you mentioned Robert Williams. He goes down, you know, looking at the matchup last series against Milwaukee, said, holy cow, how, how are they going to stop Giannis without Robert Williams at the, rim, at the rim? Well, Al Horford really stepped up in Boston. To their credit, they went out and got Daniel Tice uh, in season. So uh, the Celtics have a lot of depth, and, and I think that'll be one of the adjustments that I'm looking at for Ime Odoka. This series, uh, I know they gave up a lot. Boston gave up a lot to get Derek White. But in the last series, Peyton Pritchard outplayed Derek White for the Celtics. So I wonder if there'll be a quicker hook this time. Uh, we'll, we'll see. You know, Adoka's a young coach. He's obviously never, um, as a rookie, he's never coached in the conference finals. And he's against an elite tactician on the other side. So I'm looking at some of those things. But uh, yeah, I like Boston to win the series. I, I just think they're a little bit better. I think they're getting healthier now with Williams uh, returning the lineups. We'll, we'll see what Robert uh, is able to give the Celtics. 
And then for Miami, Lowry being out, um, I, I think those things, you know, you could overcome that the first round or two, Matt. But as you get up the pyramid, as the competition gets tougher and tougher, uh, it's a fine line between winning and losing. And I think Lowry's out, to, you know, for game one tonight. If he continues to miss time or even if he plays and he's limited, I just think the Celtics have a lot of talent, a lot of depth. And, and, and the final thing I'll say about that is you mentioned Jimmy Butler, you mentioned Tatum, two of the best in the league. Jimmy's maybe been the best player in this playoffs. Uh, but then you go to the secondary guys. Uh, Jalen Brown has a significant advantage against some of the guys you mentioned, P.J. Tucker, uh, you know, Gabe Vincent, some of the wings for Miami. I think that's kind of the difference for Boston. I expect Jalen Brown to have a big series. We'll see if Tyler Harrow can neutralize that for the Heat. Uh, but I, I lean toward the Celtics just as they look at player by player, matchup by matchup. I think Boston's a little better. When you've got a coach like like Ime, who like I was covered him back in like the 2012 finals, right? When it was 2013, rather, with it when it was Heat versus Spurs and the work that he did in San Antonio coming out of that system, and then he's been obviously in, in Philadelphia. He's had so many stops along the way. Like he's had, he's worked for some great coaches and made deep playoff runs as an assistant. In your experience, how much does that translate? Like, does the assistant work help with? making that leap to being the guy, the head coach, having to make the call on those adjustments as these series get later and more serious? I think you know, maybe having been there helps a little, but I think most assistants who get hired as a head coach, guys have been around the NBA for a while, have been in that position either as, as a player and or as an assistant coach. You, you know, you have deep playoff runs. Um, so really, Matt, that's, that's the, a long-winded way of saying, I don't think anybody, anything fully prepares you for that. Um, you know, they talk about that move 18 inches, but I know for me, uh, going from assistant GM in the Celtics front office, working for Danny Ainge to GM of the Suns, it's a different job. It's a, it's a different level of pressure, uh, responsibilities. You have so many more people um, who, you know, want something from you or who, who uh, you know, you need to be the bad guy to some extent. I mean, what I mean by that is if you're an assistant coach, assistant GM, whatever, um, you know, it's easy to be very popular, right? You, you, you're popular with the players, the other teams. Hey, you're my guy, you know, uh, as, as the decision maker or, or certainly one of the top decision makers in the organization, you're the one who has to say, no, this guy's going to sit. I'm going to take this guy out. I'm going to call timeout. Uh, we're not going to run plays for that guy. That's a difficult job and difficult role. And it's a, it's a different job and different role than what Udoka had before. Uh, he's done very well with it. Um, you know, obviously, we've seen uh, one of the things I, I thought that was underrated in game seven against Milwaukee was him sticking with Grant Williams because Grant uh, played very well as the game went on. He did not get off to a very good start, Matt, in that game. As you know, you go back and watch the film, Grant Williams missed some shots early. Uh, you could feel the pressure and tension mounting in Boston. I think it'd be easy for a coach to um, you know, tell him, I don't know, no, don't shoot, drive it, or just take him out of the rotation. He stuck with Grant Williams. That decision paid off. Um, but again, he's going against one of the best. I mean, Spolster is going to the Hall of Fame. will go down as one of the great head coaches in NBA history. The Heat also have home court advantage in this series. So I'm expecting a tremendous series. I think Udoka will be ready. But uh, as, as I mentioned for the players, it gets harder every level you go up the pyramid. It also gets harder for the coaches every level you go up the pyramid because they're only elite coaches remaining of the four playoff teams. Yeah, I suppose record as a home favorite is pretty outrageous. Like he, he, his winning percentage is somewhere north of seventy percent in the playoffs as a home favorite. It's really kind of ridiculous. Now, some of that's obviously tied to had LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, and Chris Bosh. That helps, I think, if you're trying to win home games. Um, what is it though around the league that really like Spolster's reputation? Because I think, I think media in particular, uh, this has been something that's frustrated me. Where we talk about. I've joked that the way that media talks about coaches is, oh, he's a great coach. And it's like, all right, do he play zone? Yes. All right, he's a great coach. And then it's, oh, well, he made great adjustments. What do you do? Well, you saw how they won that game. It's like, okay, but right. that 
just winning the game doesn't mean that you made any adjustments. What are the things that, that Spo's kind of known in NBA circles for being really great at? I think the obvious one for me is maximizing individual talents. That may sound simplistic, but if you look at some of the players who have contributed in recent years, uh, Duncan Robinson undrafted, even midseason this year with injuries to Bam and others, Omer Yurtseven, uh, going back a little while, Hassan Whiteside, Tyler Johnson, um, getting guys who were just available. Any team in the league could have had them, signed them. Uh, and that's not just young players, so even veteran players like Wayne Ellington, who they bring into the system and you know have their best years. So I, I think it's a number of factors. Uh, certainly the organizational continuity helps. People underrate that, and it's kind of a chicken or the egg debate about the NBA, which came first. Well, th- does Miami's organizational stability allow it to be successful uh, or are they successful because they have organizational stability? You know, you could, you could argue both sides of that. But either way, that grouping, Pat Riley, Andy Ellisberg, Adam Simon in the front office, Eric Spolstra and his staff, they've been together for a long time. So they, they look for a certain kind of player. They put that player into the system. And also one of the things that's unusual, as you know, even among the, the good teams, we saw what happened this year in uh, L.A. with the Lakers and in Brooklyn with the Nets. Everybody who goes in that building in that locker room knows who's in charge, right? No, nobody is running roughshod over Pat Riley and Eric Spolster. That's just not going to happen. So there you have a choice. You either get in shape, you fall in line, you, you play your role and listen, or you're gone. And that's not the case in every NBA franchise, as you know, uh, with teams seemingly uh, a lot of them bending to the whims of star players. So I, I think it's all of that, all that combined. But for me, if I were to pick out one strength for Spo, it's you know maximizing individual players. And uh, that's a credit to him because, like I said, those guys were available before the Heat signed them. Uh, they play well in Miami. And then a lot of times, frankly, you watch them play – outside of Miami and they don't look nearly as good. Yeah, that's uh, that's for sure the case. There's so many guys that have uh, come through and I've kind of got to the point where I, I, I worry for teams that they sign Miami guys at this point. I'm like, mm, you got to be real sure if you're going to sign a Miami guy. Um, before we go to the West, so you said you like the Celtics in the series. Do you have a pick for games six, seven, five? How long do you think the series will go between the Celtics and the Heat? I think it's a long series. I have the Celtics in six. Game six would be at the TD Garden. I'm just, it, it, you know, it's, it's a coin flip, but I, I lean slightly toward Boston um, with their toughness. That's one of the things that stands out, Matt, watching the playoffs, watching all 16 teams. Now we're down to four. The Celtics have some pretty rugged physical dudes up and down their lineup, uh, starting in the backcourt with Marcus Smart. Uh, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum on the wing, Al Horford in the front line. And the reason I bring that up is because, as you know, Miami at times over the years has kind of beat teams into submission with their toughness and physicality. Uh, Jimmy Butler is one of the great alphas we have currently playing in the league. They're not going to do that to this Boston team. They're not going to physically beat them up and uh, take the Celtics out of what they're doing. Boston's kind of built for that rugged physical series. So I I think Boston in six, I think Lowry's injury contributes to that. Again, t- take it uh, with uh, a grain of salt or what you will. I- I've been wrong on Miami all year, and I wouldn't at all be surprised if they win the Eastern Conference and advance to the, the championship. But I think since the calendar flipped from 2021 till 2022, keep in mind the Celtics just before New Year's were 16 and 19. And and I, I grew up in the Boston area, Matt. I worked for the franchise for over a decade. We are lucky to have some success when I was there. And, and, I, and I preface this that way because – 
I, I don't know if I've ever seen a Celtics fan base as down on the team as they were from October to December. Yeah. And really, you know, didn't like the team, uh, you know, didn't not, not just that the team was mediocre, like like actively dislike the team. Uh, so I bring that up in terms of how it's flipped in 2022 since the new year hit. They've been probably the most dominant team in the league defensively. They've been incredible. I, I know you know, know the numbers better than anybody, but uh, they were blowing teams out at historic margin with the point differential. Uh, so I think this year, 2022, they've been the best team. They just beat the defending champs with the best player. Uh, so I, I think, you know, if I were betting it, I, I'd go with Boston in six games. Yeah, Celtics in six in particular. You can get at Bet Rivers for plus 300 uh, i bet heat plus one and a half on the win spread line just because i think there's a good chance that they get to that they can push this to seven or win and they'll probably hedge in game six because well i'm a serial hedger now on to sleeper sleeper is the fastest growing fantasy platform today with millions of players you probably already have a fantasy league on there i use it for mine it's a game-changing product unlike anything else in the industry and now you could win on sleeper by playing their new over under game it's super simple first in any sport just choose two or more players that you like and pick the over or under for example the number of points in basketball or hits in baseball or rebounds or stocks whatever it is that you're into then choose the amount of money you want to enter into the contest if you pick correctly you can win anywhere from two times to over 20 times the money you put in the main reason i'm excited about the over under on sleeper is that's the only app where i can join my buddies contest and play together i have some real squares in my life that i'm looking forward to taking some money off of it's got a built-in group chat where i can see and copy my friends picks with the tap of a button it's insanely fun to ride out together stop what you're doing and download sleeper now to play their new over under game have fun with your friends and make some money on your mobile phone join our listener group on sleeper at sleeper.com slash action and sleeper will automatically match your first deposit up to $100. Again, go to sleeper.com slash action and you'll get a $100 match on your first deposit. Terms and conditions apply. See sleepers terms of use for details. Uh, let's go to the Western conference and talk about the Mavericks and the Warriors. Fascinating series, just really fascinating. Uh, you know, Ryan, when I watched that sun series, I went back and I've watched their losses in games three, four, six and seven multiple times trying to find like, what is it the Mavericks did? Like, what did they do? And there's kind of been, again, my, some of my frustration with how we cover these things. Oh, well the Mavs did this and they won. So this is why this is what worked. And I'm, I just can't really get there. They applied blitzes to Devin Booker. Devin's seen blitzes before. Like he's, he's run into those a lot. Like they blitz him off of dri- dribble handoffs. Okay. But he handled them fine in games one and two. He handled them fine in game five. Um, Chris, I think, definitely was worn down by them attacking him you know, off the switches. That's that's absolutely for sure. But uh, so much of it with the Suns was just they just seemed disconnected. And that's one of those ephemeral things I don't think you can really – you can't quantify what went on right. with the Suns. Now, don't get me wrong. A 58.7 offensive rating in the first half of game seven goes a long way towards showing how bad they were. But – when I look at that, I just I, I have to come away with the, the thought that there was they just disconnected at some point. And it's not that I don't want to give the Mavericks credit because I think they're a really good team and they've lived up to expectations. And Dorian Finney-Smith has played awesome. And Jalen Brunson was incredible in the first series. And Luka is that guy. But I do look at this matchup and I think it's a little bit different. They face two extremely heavy pick and roll teams in rounds one and two. Like that is bread and butter for Utah and Phoenix is pick and roll over and right. over and over again. Warriors run a lot more motion. They run a lot more off ball cuts, screens. They want to get you confused on those switches that Dallas is going to try and run. And I do think that even though 
Golden State's been inconsistent that I think Dallas is going to have a hard time with how much more complex and inside out the Warriors offense kind of is. And that's one of the reasons I lean towards Golden State in this series. What's your read on Mavericks Warriors? I agree with just about everything uh, you just said, Matt. I, I lean toward the Warriors as well. They're a totally different offense uh, in terms of preparation. One of the underrated elements of it, and keep in mind, I was a GM in the same conference, in the same division during the height of the Warriors' reign from 2014 to 2018. So I know what they're capable of, especially in old Oracle Arena. I have the PTSD about watching them you know, splash threes and back cut you. And, and one of the things that really stood out to me Matt, with those teams, and this team has some of that ability, is just how quickly they could end a game. You know, it was like a fighter who just kind of would, uh, you know, throw trade punches or whatever, and then when they wanted to knock you out, it was boom, boom, and it was over, you, you know, quickly with a uh, curry flurry, as I, as I call it, you know, the 11-0 Steph run or, uh, you know, Steph contributed run like in about two minutes. So um, I think this will be Dallas's toughest test. Now, I, I do think Dallas has a chance because as I look up and down uh, the Warriors roster, I don't know who guards Luka. I mean, you know, the Mikel Bridges, he's he's my guy. We brought him in when I was GM of the Suns, runner-up for Defensive Player of the Year. Um, Luke, he just physically couldn't handle Luka. I, th- I think that's what a lot of people underestimate about Luka is just how big and strong he is. And the guy in his prime who would have had the best chance to guard Luka, Matt, is Andre Iguodala. But Iguodala has been injured and isn't nearly the same player he wants to. So, so from an individual betting perspective, I think Luka is going to have a monstrous series. And that probably goes without saying, given – not only what he's done in this playoffs, but what he's done prior to this against really good wing defenders in, in L.A. and Paul George and Kawhi Leonard and those guys. So uh, if you're looking for individual bets, I, I don't know what the over-under is, but I, I just blindly pick the over on all of them because that's, that's what I think he's going to do. Um, but but defensively, uh, the Warriors, now with the emergence of, of, of pool, like when you guard the Warriors, their ability to back cut, they're, they're, them adding that third elite shooter in pool around Stephen Clay and then Draymond with his playmaking ability, I think they're going to get a lot more at the rim than Phoenix did. That may seem counterintuitive, but Phoenix didn't really go to eight in a whole lot. We can question whether that was a good decision or not. Um, Golden State's not going to go to anybody at the rim. They don't have that option, but the floor is going to be more spread and more open. Draymond's going to have the ball at the top of the key high post. And if you overplay those shooters, watch for the back cut. Uh, so I, I think I think Golden State gets a lot at the rim based off of that, based off of Draymond's playmaking and the off-ball cutting of Steph, Clay, Poole, and those guys on the overplay from the perimeter from, from Dallas's defenders. Yeah, I think it's an interesting question because, all right, if a team's going to switch, usually the idea is, all right, if they're going to switch, I mean, this is what Dallas did, right? It's like Dallas said, all right, you want to switch? That's fine. We're going to hunt Chris Paul into oblivion. Like, we're just going to go at Chris Paul yeah. over and over and over again. And we've seen that in other series, right? Where, um, honestly, the the Mavs did to the, the Suns a lot of what they did to the Jazz. The Suns tried to run drop. And Luca was hurting them so bad. They're like, all right, let's try and switch it. And then when they did that, they spaced Aiden out all the way out of, out of it. And they ran a lot of, honestly, guard-guard pick and roll so that Aiden wasn't even part of the equation. Like, if you don't have Aiden protecting the rim, it, it's a real problem. It's one of, the, I think, the strong points of the Warriors is they don't necessarily need to do that. Like, they're comfortable being like, no, no, no. Like, we're not relying on our rim protection. We don't need to play drop here. We don't have to play Kevon Looney if we don't need to like they'll play Looney and I think Luke is probably going to go pretty thermonuclear in those minutes when Looney plays like part of my equation here has been I-, I like the overs in this series I'm starting out with a bet on the over in game one for a lot of reasons one the trend leans towards the over in game ones when the team comes off a of game seven pretty predictable right like your legs are tired you're caught off guard home crowd etc right um but I think the other reason that I kind of lean is is that the Warriors are going to win I think they're going to have to win with offense because you're right 
I don't think there's anyone that can stop Luca. I, I always kind of wonder about this question though of okay, you know, the question's like, oh, well, who's going to guard Luca? And does anyone? Does anyone like you just kind of have to bake in like Luca's over under? You mentioned you like the overs. His points total is thirty three and a half, and I'm with you. That feels soft to me. Like yeah, yeah. I, I, it, this feels 36, 37 a night. Like I would not be surprised if Luca's averaging 30 plus in this series, just because I think if you're golden state, you are kind of programming and saying, look, we want to switch everything. Stay home, make Luca score 60 to beat us. Because if that's the tactic you want to take. And then a lot of this honestly gets back to that 2018 series between Houston and golden state where Houston switching everything and they're making it tough on Kevin Durant, who's not playing in the in the flow of the offense. And that was a tension point. Like Draymond was mad at, at Kevin Durant even in that series for not moving the ball and basically playing into what Houston wanted, which is play isolation basketball one on one. If you watch a lot of Dallas, they're not just playing switch. Like they're aggressive. They're so high up. They're not collapsing down and kind of like keeping an eye on the paint. They want to keep everything on the perimeter, and they're willing to, to basically dare you to get behind them. Again, that's where I think like Golden State's so good at passing, they can do it. But turnovers is the kind of the countermark there of if you're backing yeah. Dallas, it's because you think Dallas is just going to be able to wreck the Warriors with points off of turnovers. I personally always get to a, a, a point whenever it's turnover stuff that I say, even with a team like Golden State that's so sloppy with the ball, and they are like they just that's inherent to how they move the ball, and Dallas is so good at creating them, it's still under Golden State's control. So, like, as the series goes on, they should get sharper at anticipating those reads from Dallas on the passing lanes, being able to figure out counters for that, staying out of trouble. And ultimately, if you if you do not turn the ball over, that takes away a big asset for the opponent. Um, for you, when you look at a series, can turnovers really be the difference in deciding who wins and who loses if there's not if we're not talking about like a coin flip series? Because I don't view this as such. No, you, you make great points. And I think the difference, as I look at Golden State versus Phoenix and how they're going to match up with Dallas, I think the difference is all year with Phoenix, and as you know, they were historically good offensively, defensively. They'd have everything you'd want from a championship favorite. Uh, but I think the difference was, in terms of what Dallas did it, it, with the perimeter pressure, is all year teams were worried about the Suns' bigs, Aiton and McGee in particular, and then when they got Biombo, getting behind them on the pick and roll. So it's, it's drop, 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 drop. And then Chris Paul and Devin Booker, two of the best mid-range guys in the league, could just eat in that area. You know, they, they could just go nuts, and they were incredibly efficient at those shots in the regular season. Um, and Dallas said, we don't care about it. You know, if, if you throw it up to the rim, we're just going to pressure the ball. We're, we're going to try to take away vision. We're going to be physical. We're going to wear down Chris Paul, as you mentioned. Um, if you throw it to the rim, you're throwing it 35 feet over two defenders in your fit. You know, it's not like we're going to let you come off slowly and, and get to that right elbow CP and just float in shots. We're, we're not doing that. I think the difference, Matt, is Golden State is, you know, I don't know if they're, they're set play calls or not. I think they're more reads, but the backdoor stuff is part of their offense. I mean, that, that's what it is. And, and when you have Steph Curry and Clay Thompson on your team and Draymond Green as the trigger man for a lot of it, you're used to overplays. I mean, that's how teams play Golden State. Steph Curry has no room. As you know, if he, if he runs over half court, there's a guy shadowing him in game 37 in the regular season. That, that's just what it is. So, so Golden State's, I think, more equipped to handle that. I think they have a better playmaking big in Draymond. And uh, that, that's just part of their offensive system. So, yeah, I think that's going to be the, the adjustment for 
for Kidd and the Mavs. Uh, Kidd and his staff have done a phenomenal job uh, throughout the playoffs. Um, you know, can they still be aggressive, but not quite as aggressive where uh, we're going to sell out? Because keep in mind, too, you know, Chris Paul's maybe six feet tall. It's easier to get into him, get physical with the ball than, uh, you know, uh, Steph is not huge, but he's 6'3". Clay's like 6'7", six, 6'8". Six, yeah. um, you know, so you try to get into those guys. They're bigger. They can make the pass over the top. And then you have Draymond usually as, as the release valve playing four and three behind the defense without a rim protector. Uh, that's a recipe for disaster. So I think the turnovers could hurt Golden State to some extent, but um, I trust their decision-making when it matters under pressure. Uh, and I also trust the fact that they have three elite shooters and maybe the best playmaking big man in the league and Draymond. Uh, so I, I, I think they'll be fine. And I, I just, that's, that's why I'm like you. I lean toward the Warriors. I think they'll figure out a way to solve what Dallas has done so far defensively in this year's playoffs. This series in particular, uh, I've kind of gone a number of ways on. I, 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 the way I've described it in my preview was, I don't think it's a great matchup for Golden State. I don't look at this and go like, oh, this is excellent for them because look, they are going, they are going to, you know, switch everything, and that's shown to mess up the Warriors um, in previous series. Like that slows down the ball movement; it makes it harder if you can, if you can catch them. Like if the mis- if the communication isn't clean on those, you're in trouble. But the Mavs are really good at it. Luke is a tough matchup for literally any human being on the planet. Um, he's a tough matchup for everybody. So it, I don't think it's a great, I don't look at this and go, Ooh, golden state matches up really well here, but I also don't wind up going like, Oh, this is a really bad matchup for them. Like I liked Memphis a lot because I felt like Memphis could play in chaos and job was such a singular athletic talent. He could break a lot of what they did. And we saw some of that in them being able to push it to six before Jaws injury. I, I think it, as we evaluate how close the series, though, is one thing we talked about on the Buckets podcast, which if you're listening, you can download right now wherever you get podcasts, is there was kind of a consensus of if this series goes long, kind of leads towards Dallas, because that means that Dallas has figured out something with Golden State. They figured out how to not get you know bowled over by those flurries that you talked about, getting hit by those runs. They've stayed in it, and there's kind of a consensus that right now Luke is the best player in the series. Do you agree that as the series goes on, it may get a little bit more in favor of Dallas? That doesn't mean Golden State can't close it out because, you know, they're up 3-1. They can obviously just win one of the final games and be done with it. But do you kind of agree that if Golden State's going to win this, they probably need to build an early lead and not have to be chasing Dallas from behind? I guess I'm thinking about it a slightly different way. I would, from a betting perspective in game one, I'd like Dallas. I think Dallas has the optimal amount uh, to cover, maybe not to win. Uh, I I know um, Golden State's, I think, a a five-and-a-half-point favorite last I I saw. Um, But I I think Dallas has the right combination of rhythm and rest now that, yes, they just did play seven games. uh, But keep in mind, Luka was on the bench the entire fourth quarter, and then they had two days off. You know, I don't. I think one day with travel is way too quick. But then I think you you get past the point of – um, I don't say diminishing returns, Matt, but if you get beyond, you know, four or five, six days off, I worry about rust coming into a game one where a team's just sitting and the other team's in rhythm, uh, you know, in that first game in particular. So uh, I like I like Dallas uh, to cover uh, in, in game one. Uh, but I, I think as the series goes on, the way I'm thinking is Luca is great and he's historically great, but um, he's going to have to do so much. At some point, is he going to slow down and wear down a little, you know, mm-hmm. just a little bit, uh, you know, just given that, um, you know, it was uh, they handled Utah relatively easily, though. I think that one was what, six games, Matt, right? In, in the first round, uh, net, then you get a hard fought seven game series, at least the first six games were hard fought uh, in, against Phoenix. At some point, does it catch up with him? I know he's great, um, but he does take a lot of contact and, and Golden State, um, you know, they, you mentioned they, they have some. Uh, big bodies. They have Draymond. They have Looney. They'll try some different looks 
at him. He'll still do his thing, but at some point does he wear down? And, uh, you know, Dallas, the way they're set up, are, are they – if there's any slippage in Luka against this opponent, uh, I, I just don't think they're able to exploit it. Now, one thing we haven't discussed to keep an eye on that I, I've been tracking, Matt, you may know more about this than I do, but I found it very interesting that the Mavs have not ruled out Tim Hardaway Jr. yet. You know, they, mm-hmm. they – in the Phoenix series, every game it said, you know, like shortly before the game, Tim Hardaway Jr. is not available tonight. You know, so I, it seemed to me um, like that was somewhat strategic. I don't know if it was to inject a little doubt in the, the mind of the Suns you know, coaches and players or if it was just, hey, look, this guy may come back at some point. We're going to be closed lipped about it. But uh, obviously, if he's back, another shooter score. Um, for Dallas, uh, Dinwiddie stepped up, Brunson stepped up, but um, I think that's something that could certainly give uh, the Mavs a better chance against this opponent if Hardaway is able to come back and just give them something at some point in the series. That'd be a huge swing. Uh, all my confidence in Golden State would be pretty shook if THJ suddenly comes back. Great stuff from Ryan McDonough. Uh, make sure to follow him on Twitter at McDNBA. We'll have the link in the episode description. Make sure to keep it tuned here on the Action Network podcast all week and all offseason long. You can get more NFL news, win totals, all that stuff. Hockey playoffs, obviously, going on. Love those NHL playoffs, all sorts of stuff. Make sure to download the Buckets podcast if you're wanting more coverage of the NBA. Ryan, thanks so much for joining me. Anytime, Matt.